Blog Talk Radio. Live on her story too. Welcome, 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 everybody. I see you all trickling in. Keep on coming in. Hi, everybody. Hi, hi, hi. I see you all. Welcome to all our guests. Yes, we do have another special guest. I know y'all are spoiled for choice this week, right? <laughs> I know. You enjoyed it? Yeah, that was um, Susan. Yeah, yeah. Hook up with her on Twitter. Yeah, but today we have a special guest, and our special guest is Fatu Balde. Yes. Day. She's one of Scotland's most well-known and knowledgeable FGM activists. So you all already know what FGM is, right? Because we got the insight from Ali Mati, right, who was on the show. Yeah, but for those of you who are new to the show, 
FGM is, um, is also known as female genital mutilation. Sometimes it's also, you know, referred to as, you know, female circumcision. But we have the expert joining us today, and she's going to talk a little bit about that. I have to go ahead and give you all those directions to find your way around beautiful blog talk. Um, as always, you know, we're looking forward to taking your calls as well. We'd love to hear from you as well. You'll know how we do. So let me go ahead and give you the calling number, which is 515-602-9735. That is the number to call. Remember, y'all, if you're calling from outside the U.S., remember to dial the U.S. country code, and that will get you right in. All right, everybody, greetings, welcome. Y'all on the call lines, you know how to do. You need to push one on your keypad. That's my cue. You want to jump in. But before we dive right in, I have to give a big shout-out. You know how we do. We have to thank all our listeners from across this beautiful world of ours. And we'll start right in the U.S., up there, and say hello and a big thank you for all your support. Big up to all our American listeners, our Canadian listeners, our listeners in Nigeria, Greece, in Italy, in France, in the UK. UK be showing us mud love, y'all. I have to say that, okay, now. Um, of course, we also have to give a big shout-out to all our Norwegian listeners here in Scandinavia, right here at home in Denmark and Sweden. Thank you so much. Um, yep, we're going to go back to the continent, Africa, and give a big shout-out to our listeners in Uganda, in Kenya. Big up to Kenya by Ghani, all And, um, yes, oh, Mali and Cote d'Ivoire, as well as Ivory Coast. How dare I forget? Ivory Coast, Ivory Coast, like sugar, mud love. And Ghana, how dare I forget Ghana? Okay, y'all, we got to move on because I know y'all be really wanting to bite my head off if I forget y'all, okay? So we're going to come back to Europe, okay, and give a big shout-out to Switzerland, Belgium, Russia, India. We're going to go a bit up north to India, to Asia, and give a big shout-out to Indonesia, who shows us absolutely mud love. The Philippines, um, I said India, y'all, yeah, um, yep. I think I've covered y'all. I, I left out Spain and Germany. Yeah. Okay, y'all. I think I have covered everybody. No, the Philippines. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, y'all. Mexico, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, so let's go ahead and bring in our special guest. Yeah, we have Fatu here with us on the line. Um, Fatu, say hello. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor, y'all. Um, I didn't finish telling you all about um, Fatu because she's also been involved in campaigning against FGM in Scotland for over five years. And um, she's done research into the NHS Scotland Obstetric Care for Women um, who have experienced FGM. And uh, Fatu has also worked on FGM in the Gambia and is a change maker within her own family and community. I absolutely love that. You know, I think everything starts with family, really. That, I'm a true believer that, you know, we can say all these pretty things out there, but you have to start at home. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Fatu, where do we start? This is one of those topics that, you know, everyone wants to run away when they hear it. It's like they want to run away, but some want to know more about it. Others don't even know it happens. They don't know it exists. So, um, what do you say we just... Um, start with maybe what is that? Yeah. What I say is that FGM is everybody's business. Violence against women is every business. We all need to address the issues. Um, for a very long time, a lot of people just shied away from the from female genital mutilation. Um, but it is 
about time that we all stand up and and put our foot down. We all contribute towards peace and end to this harmful disease that is affecting millions of girls and women across the world. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a starting point for me, really. Yes. I think it's very important and fine, but. You know, we're not doing all that we possibly can do because we're in the 21st century. And really, there are certain things that I think should become history. Like, it should be something really past tense. And you make such an important point because we had a show earlier, um, actually on Sunday, and the question was posed in the chat, you know, is it only happening in Africa? And, and the thing is, this is, again, I think the assumption that a lot of these problems are developing country problems, child marriage, you know, all these things, human trafficking. It's a global problem. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know what, um, Fatu, so we've had a little bit of a discussion in the past on a couple of shows, and we're talking about when you work in this field. So we hear words such as barbaric, horrific, and we were actually saying that's a huge disrespect to these cultures. But you're working in this field. How do you think, what, what do you think is the best approach to make people see that you respect their culture, you respect their traditions, but there are better ways of doing, for example, rites of passage, you know, or doing other, yeah, or addressing this issue. Mm-hmm. Thing. So growing up, for me, 
and sometimes death. So I think I agree with you that I have seen this approach more, um, it's received much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and especially in the long term. Mm. I, what I get from, for instance, my community and some members of my family is, oh, you're being brainwashed, you're, you're being westernized, that's why you, you say this is wrong and all that. That is, if, you try to, if I try to use the human rights approach, that is what I get a lot. But whereas if I bring this health perspective and try to explain, so for instance, my mother, she didn't go to school, so when I, she knows what I do, I have explained to her, and she initially, she used to, she used to just laugh it off and say, oh, I don't know what you are doing, why, why are you saying that this is wrong? She couldn't understand, you know. It took me years to try to get her to understand, and it's been difficult, especially within my family, uh, because I have a lot of other uh, female young young girls in my family who who um, who were at risk of FGM, um, and until just last year, the issue of them having to undergo FGM always comes up. It's that time of the year the girls need to be caught, and I would need to intervene and say that you cannot do this, and uh, you know. But for me, making bringing that change in my family, knowing that because all it takes to break the cycle in one generation. That's all it takes. If you if you break it in a family in one generation, the next generation is safe and the one after and the one after. You know. So I know how difficult it is to, to break that chain, the first chain, because this is something that I, I had to undergo for, for quite a long time. Yeah, and I think sometimes people just say this words like, you know, just stop it. It's easy you know, it's a it's a terrible thing. It can just end. No. But I think what you're saying is just so important. You're talking about people's culture. You know, it's like telling someone, I don't want you to celebrate Christmas. I know I'm not comparing the two, but these are things that they hold dear to them. It's a deeply rooted tradition mm-hmm. that has been practiced for centuries. Um, it's embedded in everything people do. So, for instance, in the Gambia, FDM is not just about the cutting itself. So, when, when girls are caught, you are, you know, like I said, it's a rite of passage. During that time, girls are taught how to be, I'm quoting this, women when they grow up. You're taught how you're supposed to speak to your elders, how you're supposed to, to do a lot of things in the, in, in, in the community as a woman, how you are expected to behave. And these practices, these are all instilled in you during this period. So that's why we say FGM is not just about cutting, you know. And... That's why it's also difficult for, for families, for people that have practiced it for, for many years, to just say that we are going to stop this practice. And also it's the stigma that you receive. Um, again, um, people get stigmatized if they, if, if they come from a community that practices FGM and they've not done it. They would, they, they would be the ones that are bullied. They would be outcast. And it is very difficult for, for those people. Again, this is why it's difficult for those those communities to stop the practice. Yeah. Uh, um, and Fatu, just tell us, you know, like, just, I knew there's, the list is long when it comes to physical health or sexual health, but just tell us some of the main ones or the obvious ones that somebody who is going through this thing and may not even know what, is, what caused this or even think that that's a problem because a lot of things women go through, they just think, oh, well, every woman is going through that. 
you know, like anemia. It's normal. You know, let me just eat some spinach. But they don't know sometimes it's chronic anemia, you know. So maybe just tell us, uh, you know, a few of the impacts of FGM on physical health as well as on sexual health that we should really look out for. So first of all, um, it ha- FGM, when it happens, it has both immediate complications and like short-term and long-term complications. So short-term complications include uh, bleeding. So some people will bleed to death or lose a lot of blood during the process. You can get, um, because for instance, in the Gambia, FGM is done traditionally. So it's done by someone who has no medical background. Um, they use the same equipment to cut several girls without sterilizing them. So you can imagine the, the, the transmission of disease if one of those girls have any blood-borne diseases, the remaining that are cut, it will be easy to be transferred to them. Um, so you get those immediate, even then, some children die from it. But also you do get the long-term complications as that, that are associated with FGM as well, which um, so a lot of women would experience severe pain during their periods, um, UTIs during infections, um, cyst, mm-hmm. and repeated infections, complications during childbirth. Um, it's also been associated with increased risk of um, newborn deaths as well. So there are loads, loads of complications, but also the complications depend on what type of FGM the woman has had. So, um, you know, like there are different types where type 1 is the clitoris that is removed, type 2 involves removing the clitoris and the labia, and type 3 involves pitching. So there are all these different types. Um, so the severity or the complications depend on which, which type of FGM you have had. Mm-hmm. But I have spoken to a lot of women who would tell you that, you know, for the rest of their life they, they, they have the complications because of their, you know, which is, which is very sad. Um, and also, of course, the trauma, uh, which is which affects a lot of people, their mental health, because of the they feel betrayed, also because of having to experience, you know, uh, the trauma of having to undergo this whole whole painful procedure. A lot of people do not cannot take it out of their mind, and it does affect them a lot. I I met a, a young lady who was explaining. Um, she was taken back to her country of origin. She was born outside in in developed country somewhere. And then she was taken back to undergo FGM. And she said it, it basically destroyed her relationship with her mom. She could never trust her again. But she also found that she couldn't say no to anybody. She mm. couldn't say no. And she said this has affected her relationship. She, uh, with a sexual partner, she couldn't just bear anyone touching her because it always reminded them, reminded her of, of that incident. I also speak to women who who are desperate to go and have a senior test, but are, are fearful. The thought of someone going down and examining them, it, it's just beyond them. So uh, there, there are numerous of complications that are associated with the, the practice. Yeah, the psychological is intense. So these are things, I mean, you've, you've covered actually the psychological, you know, effects as well. You know, so you've touched on the physical, the sexual, the psychological. So clearly there is a problem. And you've also, I mean, you work with the obstetric, yeah. yeah. And is this like maternal health or? And, and what, tell us a little bit about the impact on, their, on the maternal health. 
women, for instance, for a, for a woman who's had FGM type 3, that's where you're all stitched completely and you're left with a very tiny hole just to pass your menstruation and urine. So you can imagine that woman being pregnant and expecting to, to deliver a child. How, 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 how difficult that would be. Um, so, for instance, in the UK, that happens if a woman is sick, there are procedures that they follow, and the woman can go and have, have food before they have the child, or they can choose to have it during during the time of delivery. But it's, it's very traumatic. So when I first did my research in Scotland around, around FGM, this is back in 2011, I interviewed a lot of women who, few women who had, FGM type 3, and they didn't have very good experience having children here because they felt that the, the, the doctors back then were not very aware of, of, of how to handle uh, women with those type of um, procedures. However, this has changed significantly in Scotland. We've had some people who have taken this on, went and did courses and come back and tried to help women to, to have delivery. But also I have met some women who have said to me that it just just to highlight how um, how strong the issue of FGM is. So I have met in the in the recent research that we just completed, I have met some women who said um, they had it, they had FGM type three where they were stitched closed, but when they were giving birth, they were open, they had a baby. But when they go back home on holiday, they expected to stitch themselves back up again. So it's not now, now the trend to young people, like young girls, it's actually happening to women. The pressure is on women to go back and have it done. And when you ask these women, why do you do that? Uh, you know, why do you choose to have this done again? Some women would explain that, you know, my husband wants me to tighten myself up or my husband's family thinks that I should do it or other women are putting pressure on me or my husband is putting pressure on me saying that if I don't tighten myself up, which means stitching the whole vagina back up, then they might go and find another wife, which is, which is very sad and, and heartbreaking because these women know how, how difficult it is when they had to go through it the first time. But recently I've met, I've met a couple of uh, midwives who have said to me that they've, on, on an occasion where they've seen a woman before who's had a baby, they've removed the stitches, and this woman has come back three years later pregnant again, and the stitches are closed again. So that is just to highlight, you know, how how deeply rooted this practice is among among communities that practice it. Yeah, but if you take this, you know, if you think women have to go through all these horrific things, you know, and I'm not using the word horrific because it, the, the the problem is compounded. You have health implications, you have psychological implications, you have maternal implications, you have health. It's, and all these issues that you're mentioning are life-threatening. Yes. You can die from loss of blood just like that. Of course. And, and I think one other thing that sometimes we tend to forget, so especially for people that I've spoken to here, um, in the, I think it also has an influence to, to domestic violence. So you you see some women would say during during this research that we were doing again some women would say you know I do not enjoy sex I do not want to have sex but then my husband wants to have sex and if I don't want to have sex that bring other issues within the marriage and so it, it does contribute to the 
It's really unfortunate. And and I, I keep on thinking to, as you you know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking this is the twenty first century and, 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 and the women still feel an obligation. You know, there has to be a very deeply ingrained psychological trauma or something that has happened for you to feel obligated to want to even go and do the surgery and teaching several times. You know, to please somebody who clearly does not care about your health and your well being. Of course, of course. You know, and Quran, 
or the good book, as my friends call it, the good book, is it written anywhere? No, I don't think so. No, no, no one has quoted any something from the Quran to me to show me that um, it is a, a, a requirement. And also, uh, as Muslim, our, our prophet, peace be upon him, he had daughters, he had wives, and there's no record anywhere that his daughters or his wife had undergone FGM. So if this practice was something that was required by Islam, I, I suspect then those women in the prophet's life would have you know, of, you know, these books. And I think it's very unfortunate that it's, it's causing people, you know, it's putting people's lives at risk. Um, there's a question um, that I'm getting here. Okay, they're saying, what is the link between FGM and ethnicity? Okay. I don't know. That's so, a very yeah. interesting, good question, uh, you yeah. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We have different um, techniques, different tribes, we call it, mm-hmm. and I understand this is the same in a, in a lot of other African countries. Mm-hmm. So not all tribes practice FGM. So in the Gambia, we have a couple of tribes that do not practice FGM. And also the type of FGM that the girl undergoes also depends on the tribe that the girl comes from. So they, the issue of FGM is very complex. Yeah. So, yes, so ethnicity has have an influence on whether you undergo FGM and what type of FGM you, you, you have. Yeah, and also um, there's another question. What age is FGM performed? Because they say we keep saying young girls. Did we say young girls? Maybe you've done some research, guest. Oh, you've said it. Yeah, okay. So how, how, what is the age? Uh-huh. In some countries, um, FGM is performed. In, in the Gambia, it, the mean age is about five. So it usually happened, used to happen between five and eight. Five years. I underwent FGM when I was seven. But in recent years, this has shifted. A lot of girls are having it when they're very young because people believe that if they're little, it will be less painful or the girl might not remember what's happening. So in some communities, the, the, the FGM is performed as soon as the child is born. In other communities, it's when the girl, before they get married. So it varies from community to community. You can go to the same country again, repeat it, going back to the first question about ethnicity. That also, it depends. Ethnicities have different different uh, types or times when they perform FGM on girls. And this also varies from country to country. 
Yeah, but now, Fatu, you've actually you've put a twist to my understanding because I understood it as a rites of passage, but now five years old, seven years old, it's no longer seen. That is, that's called the rites of passage, is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the, those are the myths. There is the myth. How do you teach a five-year-old girl how to, to be, be, behave like a woman? Yeah, or a little child. Um, because and one of the big issues is that um, FGM, even the women, a lot of the women that practice it don't understand it. Because once you undergo FGM, you are told you don't talk about it. If you speak to a lot of a lot of older uh, survivors of FGM, one of the things that everyone would tell you, regardless of what 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 country or tribe they come from, one rule is you do not discuss what happened to you. So people don't discuss it, so people don't understand the, the, the whole process of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really unfortunate. So it's like now you're saying, I mean, pain is pain. You're just producing the age that this, this is not the way to go. It's definitely but not so the way to go. It's to do with, with the, the law. A lot of countries have banned FGM. So parents believe that if I do it at a young age, it is less likely for it to be noticed. It is less likely um, for authorities to know that it has happened. Whereas before, when you bring in the rite of passage, it's a group of girls that are caught together and they do all the extra things that come with the cutting. Now, a lot of people do it, you know, on the cover of the, and they, they do it when girls are really, really little. Yeah, and now when we talk about the law, I think, you know, a lot of times there are a lot of things that are illegal. But do they happen? Yes. I mean, you'd be yes. highly naive to believe that just because somebody said it's illegal. You know, we're talking about it right now because clearly it hasn't stopped. Yes. Um, but I think like a, a lot of countries have, have a law. They have a law on, against FGM. But it's one thing having a law and another implementing the law. Yeah, because the culture is the people. The, lo- the people have to understand the law. If they don't understand the law, then they will not apply the law. They won't respect the law, you know. And, and I think people also, Africa is also quite complex because we have different tribes with different cultures and traditions. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but like in Kenya, we have overlapping laws. We have laws and we have customary laws. So even with marriage, you can be married like this, but you're also married, and it's recognized within certain customs and tribes. So we have layers of laws. So, you know, I'm just wondering, are there consequences? When somebody is caught doing this practice, are there consequences? There, there should be, as per the law. But then it's, it's bringing, prosecuting that person. So, again, a lot of people protect each other. It, this is a, this is a, a practice that community feeling something that belongs to them. So most times, even when this happens, it's not something that is reported. So the, a lot of the time, the law is just there on pen and paper, but it doesn't have a big influence over the practice, whether it continues or not. So for me, what I find, what I think should happen is, is raising awareness, making people aware of how the practice affects women's health and, and also not just women, because when, they, when, when you are in a, in a relationship as well, how it affects your relationship as well, is to highlight, highlight those things, is to work with grassroots level, 
grassroots level, teach young people how FGM affects them, and hopefully we can we can break that break that cycle from from by educating those young people so that they don't do it to their their, their future daughters. I think that's one of the ways, which is at the moment, which is a big big movement in the Gambia. Uh, we have a lot of organizations, grassroots organizations, that are working really hard. Young people taking on the fight and saying that we don't want this. And I think that's one way to see a change. Because yeah. at the end of the day, for a, a lot of the older generation, they've already undergone FGM and they've already got their girls. So these, these future generations that are coming, they're the ones we really need to educate to make sure that we, we break that barrier. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you because I think it's a mindset thing. It's a family thing. It's a community thing. It's not just putting laws in paper. You know, it's like, I'll just give a quick example because I know we're running out of time. But in Kenya, you have, for example, the inheritance of land. There's a law that women should now inherit land. But if the father does not see you as fit to inherit the land, the land is his land. So he has a legal right to give the land to whichever child he feels can take care of the land. So if he has the bias, he's not done anything wrong. It's a mindset where he has to come to the realization that my children are all equal, both of them are highly capable of taking care of the land, and then he can apply the law. So we have laws, but is it being applied? Because the family, again, the mindset, the culture, the traditions, the beliefs, they affect how people apply laws. And so that's why when I was reading, you know, your profile and you said, you know, the family, I thought that's such a beautiful approach because it's so important within your family and the community. Of course, that's where you stand. That's where you stand. And another very important part that we um, we should also add is men. They are very, they are very influential partners in ending FGM. I think if men start standing up and saying that we do not want our daughters to to undergo FCM, I do not want to marry a woman who's undergone FCM. And if, if we change the perception of men as well, that would also contribute highly. And also religion leaders as well, so that they can clarify the myths around FCM and religion, that would also have a lot of a big impact in ending the practice. Look at that. I, I, you have put it so perfect. That has just demystified a lot of things. And Fatu, we have one minute left on the show. I want to thank you. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor having you. I hope you will come back because we have so many other questions and maybe we should talk more about demystifying it, the approach from the community leaders and also what the men can do maybe in a future show. But before we head out, just tell us how we can reach you, you know, read more about your work and get involved before we head out. Thank you very much. I'm so grateful to come on air today and chat about this, um, the work that I do. I am on Twitter, and my name is Fatu Valdez. Just tweet me or add me on Facebook. I am always available to, to talk to you. If you have any questions that are not, uh, we don't have time to, to answer just now, feel free to send me a message, and I will speak to you. Okay. So, y'all, please go ahead. You know, you, the more you know, the more you're able to respond. I always think when you have the knowledge, you react differently, y'all. So get in touch, read about it. You know, I'm sure some of you have taken a parlor too. And we thank Fatu for your time, for your insights, and sharing your knowledge. Everybody else, thank you so much. We have to head out now. And as always, we know you all are going to do what you want to do, but we ask you to do something to change the world. Okay, everybody, so take care and goodbye. I'll be a better man today.